Hi, I'm Ian Pringle. This is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this episode, we'll explore the new phenomenon of open banking and ask if it really will be the next big thing in loyalty. To help me with this, I'm joined by two guests who have experience of open banking from different sides of the globe. So please welcome David John from Loyalize in the UK. Hi, David. Hi, Ian. How are you? Brilliant. And uh, Craig Grimshaw of New World Loyalty in New Zealand. Hi, Craig. G'day, Ian. G'day, David. And g'day, listeners. Good to see you. Um, so before we get started, there's probably the first question people are thinking is, what is open banking? And why is it being talked about as the next big thing? So before we really get into it, um, David, do you want to kick that one off? Do you want to give us an introduction to that? Yeah, of course. So broadly speaking, open banking has been around effectively since 2007. But I actually think it's only sort of the th- past three to five years that it's really come into its own its own right in the market. Um, at a high level, open banking allows third party providers or third party companies to get access to bank account information for the provision of value add services to customers. So there are two forms in which this can happen. Uh, There's one called account information services, which are the more commonly known AIS systems. What it allows is companies to get access to customer bank account information. So you'll notice with Revolut, you can connect multiple bank accounts into your Revolut account, or you'll have your budgeting apps where you can connect multiple bank accounts into one consolidated view with the understanding that a customer is now going to get value out of sharing that information with the third party provider. And then the other is a more recent, uh, I suppose, iteration of open banking, which is PIS or payment initiation services. And that effectively allows customers to make payments directly from their bank account uh, or otherwise a bank transfer, if you will. Um, So whilst it's been around since sort of 2007, as I say, for quite a bit of time, it's really the past three to five years. I think there's been this exponential growth in the use of open banking across different verticals. So could this be the holy grail of loyalty where we finally move away from reward programs to actual loyalty programs that actually reward people's loyalty and share of wallet rather than just sales at one bank, one place? Broadly speaking, yeah, I think it certainly opens up the capacity for that. I think, you know, data is the driver for everything. You know, loyalty programs are all about data and using data and rewarding customers for getting access to that data. I think open banking takes things one step further. So you're not just seeing the spend within that particular merchant, you know, for focusing on a loyalty program, but actually you're now seeing the spend that takes place outside of that merchant. So if a retailer can fundamentally convince a customer to share their account information with them as part of that loyalty program, and you can now see how your customers are spending the moment they step foot out of your shop or leave your website, I think as far as sort of retail insights go, that becomes the holy grail of really understanding and profiling who your customers are. The one thing I was also going to say, David, because I, I like the summary, because it's a nice analogy between the account information and the payment piece. It's also the key thing is the real-time piece. Hmm. And that is the the one thing that is common. Um, it's a fundamental shift, both in the account information piece, but also in the payment piece where you can enable, third parties can have with the permission of the account holder, have the ability to undertake real-time transactions or receive real-time information. So going back to your comment, Ian, around is this a holy grail of loyalty? I think there's been quite a few things that have always been the holy grail of loyalty, and I keep thinking of a Monty Python scene whenever I think about <laughs> that type of thing. I think I think there's the opportunity for open banking to facilitate a lot of greater, more relevant, more personalised communications with customers, but there's quite a few steps on that journey to get there. 
Yeah. So the we'll holy grail that. may be there. We, we'll absolutely get into that. So, so thanks for giving that first that that, that summary first off, um, David. So, can we just now just have a step back and just introduce yourselves and your experience in open banking, David? Again, do you want to kick us off on that one? Yeah, of course. So, uh, I'm founder and CEO of a company called Loyalize. Um, so, we use open banking to deliver two features to to mark to the market. Um, effectively, the features are, I mentioned earlier. So. We have the AIS and PIS part of our business. So the AIS is where we work with other loyalty programs or uh, employee benefit services, for example, and allow the end users to connect their bank or credit accounts to that service in order to benefit from their direct card spend, either with those merchants or across a rewards network. And then the, the payment side of the business is actually licensing in payment software to retailers to give customers another opportunity to make payment through open banking. Um, we're relatively new in the market, so we've been going for about three years now. Um, there have been a few iterations in that time to, to cater for market environment and certain uh, epidemics and so on. Um, but we're now going through this sort of quite nice growth phase over the past certainly six months. I think consumer confidence has been, has been growing more and more. Um, so it's really nice to see, certainly from a, a startup perspective, how the market is evolving, how we can sort of stay ahead of that curve. Brilliant. And uh, you, Craig? Yeah, cheers, Ian. Um, I'm Craig Grimshaw. I'm a consultant with New World Loyalty. have over 30 years, or nearly 30 years, so I've just oh, I thought you'd, I this. thought you'd gone over the edge there. I thought you'd gone <laughs> over 30 years. I think November is the 30 years. But anyway, I'm not saying which year. But the, we'll have to. <laughs> I look so youthful, though. And oh, um, 20, <laughs> 20 years ago, I was heading up e-payments at Commonwealth Bank of Australia. So I've always had this um, belief that payments and loyalty will converge and then and also mobile payments and loyalty will converge. Um, so I've always been watching the space with a lot of interest. Uh, uh, Ten years ago, we uh, in New Zealand, the, uh, we did a Cartlytics startup model for AMIA using uh, banks' payment data, and that we created it from ground zero, and that worked really well. And then uh, in the last uh, two years, I've been consulting into different, two different clients around open banking opportunities. And as we will discover throughout this uh, podcast, it varies on the evolution of the banking systems around the world as to what you can and can, can't access and the way some technology providers give you certain information as well. So we'll talk through that as we go on. That's a summary. Perfect. And um, I'm Ian Pringle. Everyone knows me for the podcast from, from previous. I've been on every one so far. So uh, <laughs> um, that's, the, uh, that's the, uh, the beauty of holding the mic. But I've been involved in, in many startups um, over the years. And we've, we've looked at open banking several times from seven different angles. And I haven't been involved with one that launches yet, but we've there's been a few near misses. And uh, I've also spent long long an hour with you, David, in dingy dingy clubs in London, talking about <laughs> such things. I'm talking I'm talking Phileas Fogg type clubs rather than yeah. Stringfellas type clubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's wondering yeah, where you're going. Memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After five pm and pre five pm, very different. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so how does how does open banking differ from technologies that other people are aware of, like card-linked offers? Or you mentioned you mentioned it as well, Craig, um, Cardlytics. You know, so Cardlytics was around a long time, and that was looking at banking transactions, but that was behind the firewall, wasn't it? And it took like six to twelve months to integrate. I mean, but it was similar technology, wasn't it? Cardlytics would be dealing with it from a bank's perspective, and that we why it takes so long to get access to that data because you've got to go, when you're integrating with a bank, you've got to go through numerous security uh, checks to make sure you're ticking the box, but it would be accessing that bank's data. 
card linked offers is typically linked in um, with a scheme. So you a provider would link in with a Visa or MasterCard and you get access to that particular, the user's payment card, scheme payment card, whether it's a credit or debit card, and you get transactions related to that particular card. Open banking gives you the opportunity to look at all transactions. So to me, open banking is a far richer territory where you can, as David mentioned before, you get to understand a far better quality around share or wallet. As, as an example, I may, in card linked offers or in Cardlytics, I may only register my one payment card. Under open banking, I'll have all my payment cards there, oh sorry, all my transactions across any account there for, for that to be analyzed and leveraged. And to, I think to extend on that with card linked offers as well, it's only within specific merchants. So mm. even more restricted in terms of data. So you'll find that if there's a card linked offer with a specific merchant, that merchant has to register their merchant ID number in order for the data to be matched up with the payment network. So mm. whoever the provider is, whether it's the, pro- the publisher of the offer or even the merchant themselves that are offering a card linked you know, rewards to their customers, the only transaction that is tracked is the one that takes place for the purpose of that offer. So it's quite restrictive in terms of the data because if you're, yeah. a, let's say, a card-linked rewards network and you've only got five participating merchants for your customers, you're only going to see the transactions that take place across those five yeah. merchants. Whereas, you know, to echo Craig's point, I think the, the open banking piece just opens up this whole world of transaction data that was previously either inaccessible at all or you would have to pay a significant premium for via the likes of cardlytics and correct me if i'm wrong but i also it's also quite dated it was never real time you would prepay for a package of data that would be through a set period of time whereas with open banking from the moment a customer connects their accounts you get up to two years of prior transaction history instantly and then every transaction that's made subsequent to that is received by whichever service is allowing customers to connect their accounts. In in near real time or real time, or is it po- is it is it b- batched overnight? It's as fast as the bank. So effectively, when uh, This is where your... rule rule 3.14 applies. It's as fast <laughs> yeah. as the bank. It's yeah. as fast as a bank, which, yeah, as we know, could be quick or not quick at all. So <laughs> yeah, I think now they're becoming quicker. So, you know, you notice that certainly with the neobanks, right, any one of the sort of the Monzos, the Starlings and so on, if I make a transaction with my Starling card, pretty much straight away, I get a notification on my phone saying you've just spent X amount at this place. Brilliant. So at that same speed, I as a company offering say open banking to customers would receive that information perhaps one of the large organizations in hsbc or a barclays where it can be almost an hour before it appears as a pending transaction on the bank account statements mm. again it will be that amount of time before you as a provider would would see that specific transaction perfect and of course and, and of course craig this is going to vary from country to country based on the because this is the eu regulation that was it was psd2 uh, that brought this about in other countries are they looking at similar regulations craig yeah there's there's an evolution that goes on banks are without upsetting any banking listeners are notoriously uh, reticent about opening this their back end up to enable this real-time capability more because there's a it opens up the threat of competition and a disintermediation between themselves and the customer and it may show them up for being a little bit slower than what they should be as a result, they lobby into the various governments to try and slow down the, the pace. And so it's up to 
the regulator and the government is to actually force. And that's what happened in Europe and that's what happened in England. It was the regulator who dictated, you've got to change. You've got to change banks. You've got to provide a more customer-focused service. So in Australia, they've opened up the AIDS capability. Uh, they're moving into the payment component. Um, I think it's, in, it's supposed to be Q3 this year, Q3 2022. Um, for all those listeners who has retrospectively listened to this. And then, um, but there's a talk about it being shifted out to Q4 2022. In New Zealand, there's talk. Okay. So and so that each country varies. So you, you imagine the states where the, the states has a different payment system, may have different, um, and it has more aggregator banking services in there. There may be an opportunity to undertake it, but it's got to be up to the government to do that. And you've got federal versus state so there's a whole nuance but again there's an evolution that occurs around the world for each country so you've got to look at wherever you are what is in place what part is in place ideally the account information is the first thing and then the payment piece from a loyalty perspective does that make sense Dave? Yeah no I, I completely agree I think the innovation curve is getting steeper and steeper and I think as more and more countries start to adopt their equivalent of the PSD2 regulations I think other countries will then realise that they're missing out or they can't provide their, you know, because PSD2 is all around design, promoting competition, promoting innovation and value-add services to customers. So I think as it starts to expand, certainly across the EU as it is, but then it goes into in the Middle Eastern markets, goes into Australia, Central America at the moment has a huge amount of innovation within certainly fintech, but also open banking. So I think as more and more territories start to adopt it, I think those that don't will suddenly realise that they are then going to experience a lot slower rate of growth in terms of innovation and new tech versus those that do have it. Because I think since open banking's come out, it's not just these budgeting apps that have suddenly started to take off. But as I say, you have the likes of Revolut now who as a bank are allowing you to connect your other bank accounts to it. So you have one consolidated view with a view that they can attract customers from other banks. But then... If each bank starts doing that, then great. I mean, in terms of data sharing and data exactly. capabilities, as long as it's secure, you know, first and foremost. But suddenly with those insights floating around in the market, me as a customer, I should be able to get or derive so much more value out of my bank or my credit provider or whoever else can see my information in return for me opening up my account to share that. But given that we've had it since 2007, David, why aren't I, why aren't I falling over these things? What's the challenges? Why? Why is it? Why, what's holding it back? So for years, how often do you get told, you know, by banks or Visa adverts on TV, never provide anyone with access to your account, never share your online banking credentials, never, you know, allow anyone to see your your account status or whatnot. I think because that has been drilled in for so long over the you know the recent decades suddenly a company coming along saying hey could you connect your account to this service so we can see every transaction you know the the articulation of that has to be so sensitive um and the first iteration of open banking did require the customer to manually enter their online banking credentials in order to share that information yeah and i think there is a there's a mental blocker to doing that but with um, um with open with, with my experience of card linked offers with a trusted loyalty program the take up rates are 50% plus and 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 they're they're generally re- registering two cards. So why can it be so different between card linked offers and open banking? Is it just that that sharing of passwords and things that you think is just a bit too far? I think so. Yeah, because nowadays you link your card to anything. 
you know, just mm. to speed yeah. up the, the checkout process. You know, my card, I dread to think how many apps in my phone I've got my various cards connected to. Because you, <laughs> What, what you were those numbers just, again, David? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 those 16-digit numbers in front, yeah. <laughs> you just kind of, you, you forget, right? And I think it's because there is also the idea that the key numbers on your card to initiate a payment are the three digits on the back or, you know, four on the front if it's Amex. And you don't really ever have to share those in various apps or certainly for card linked offers you don't need to share that so when that's sort of articulated to a customer we will never charge your card people think okay well i'm only linking my card in order to get points or some value out of this okay but suddenly when it's can you give access to your bank account it i just don't think it's worded or marketed to a customer still yet there's still education that needs to be done but i don't think it's phrased in a way that gives customers complete comfort that hang on do I want to really share my entire bank account for the sake of earning a few extra nectar points? You know, when within my bank account, I'm going to have mortgage payments, credit card bills, salaries, you know, savings. That's a lot of very, very personal information which can be shared with a loyalty program, which then, you know, how secure are their systems? If they get hacked, does that mean someone can have access to my entire bank account? Um, so I think there's just the question marks, or there's far more question marks, I should say, that sit around account connection for open banking than there are with card linking. But a lot of that simplicity is just, or simply put, sorry, is just around a lack of education to the customer of actually open banking is extremely secure. Your data can't be shared in ways that you don't want it to be. You know, the customer has complete control over the sharing of their data and what data they choose to share. Um, and I just think that needs to be emphasized a lot more in the market than it currently is. The one thing I was going to say, Ian, it was also on that trust discussion. There's a like the banks have predominantly held that trust relationship with the customer. And then so as a result, link, as David was saying, linking the card to receive the value exchange between providing a card number without any CVC or CVV in there is not an issue. But then to provide my uh username and password to get access to open out my whole bank account to someone who I may not really have as much trust as I do with a bank causes a concern. The thing I was then going to, when it's going through this cycle of thinking was around going, well, Revolut has actually gone kaboom in terms of the trust that it has with its yeah. customers. So the digital experience must be one that is of far more value to customers and the simplicity and transparency of the payment flows must resonate a lot with customers to instill that trust to then provide a, a better value exchange for the customer to share the credentials. And so I think that's maybe a challenge. If you look at a loyalty program's perspective, typically it's not being front and, or in some depends on the program offering, but there's a, either the digital experience or the customer experience needs to maybe increase a fair bit to improve the trust relationship with the customer to then enable that open banking to be adopted easier. I agree with that. But I also think there's been some slight issues with the technology in that, you know, they keep asking me, I, I have it for my for my business through Zero, and I keep getting asked, how, how often is it, do you have to do it every every month or every couple of months? They've, so, they've now got rid of that, haven't they? Yeah, it's next, I believe it's next week, 26th of March, I think is they're removing it. It used to be 90 days you had to re-authenticate your account. And again, it was initially as a security measure so that customers didn't connect their account to a service, not use it and realize they're inadvertently sharing all of their bank account information with a provider. But companies were then complaining because after 90 days, customers were, you know, the churn rate was relatively high because people were going, actually, I don't want to link my account again. And if it was for the purpose of 
card-linked offers or equivalent of or loyalty or rewards programs suddenly having that drop-off rate of customers sort of disconnecting their accounts impacted obviously the growth of the underlying proposition um, so I think it's next week. Yeah, they're removing that 90 day or reauthentication piece so that now once you connect your account and authorize access to it, it will remain connected until the customer then actively chooses to to disconnect. OK, and can I run through a quick list of things that I've heard that are, that are difficult? And you can either shout myth or bust, David, or, or, <laughs> or tell me I'm, I'm wrong. The first. So it's not instant. I thought it was not instant, but you're telling me it actually is instant or it just depends on the bank. Depends on the bank. Yeah. OK. And then do you get I understand you get brand level access and this is difficult, right? So I understand that if I wanted to do an offer from KFC, it would appear as KFC on my statement but I couldn't do it for a specific KFC because I wouldn't know the merchant ID for that for that particular merchant. So you get it at brand level rather than merchant rather than shop level. Is that right? Yes and no. Uh, so again, if you look at so the new banks will often consolidate the transaction on the statements. If I was to go and transact at Sainsbury's, for example, on you know my Starling account, it would just say Sainsbury's. But on some the actual information is fed through to the bank as Sainsbury's you know, 01526, and that would be a store number. So there's a lot of testing that has to go into this, but you'll find that some merchants, actually the information that comes through to the bank as part of the APIs will include some identifier for a store. So therefore you can do store specific offers. But the reason the customer sees it as just Sainsbury's is, you know, I don't need to see that. With a big caveat, having trying to deep we haven't done many store specific offers you have to find out what are the numbers that go on this store specific number exactly and then, yeah and then so they call testing. colin from accounts and colin from accounts calls <laughs> calls sharon from from the store operations and no one has a clue no. no and so that's the that's the problem is the testing then is either quite extensive in order to identify those correctly because especially when you're delivering these offers to customers you know i think on a high level generally speaking customers are inherently impatient and if i sign up for an offer and i spend in that place to get the offer i want it pretty quick you know i don't want to be waiting a week for yeah. that company to then go and say oh god let me just go and quickly do a transaction there to see if the account number matches up so i think the reason i say yes and no to your original question was yes it is just brand level so when it comes to just spend x earn y at a retailer you know certainly for e-commerce it's, it's different then yes it's perfect so for cashback networks, but if you're wanting to take it a level deeper, it can become quite complicated. Yeah, that leads me to the next one, think about classification. So if you wanted to say, I want to know what your spend is at coffee shops, you would have to have a database, I guess, of all the coffee shops and all what the coffee shops are described as on someone's statement, which is, that's tough, yeah? Yeah, that's where the data enrichment services come in. So some yeah. underlying open banking providers are starting to build that out now for the purpose, again, of enhancing their offering. Um, and again, some of the banks themselves are doing it. So they will automatically assign a category to a transaction and then that will be sent through under the open banking APIs as well. The beauty, but some, of again, those, but some of those very same banks, David, have been trying to do this since Noah came out the ark. Yeah, and they still haven't got it right. So, they haven't got uh, it right. Yeah. I mean, and this Craig, really either Craig Grimshaw's garage, they don't know whether it's a, a jet, a shell, a BP. They have no exactly. idea. String fellows. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, but this, I think it's this thing, so, yeah, yeah. 
and this is where I think the open banking providers are aiming to you know try and do it themselves or again if you've got the right analytics suite within a business or the right data scientists or team already set up when someone connects their accounts of course you're seeing the past two years of transaction history you can sort of do a quick analysis of, the, of those transactions and spot ones that would be identified as a coffee shop, for example. Again, if you have the right team to be able to do that, which not many companies do, you know, this isn't sort of a one size fits all business model, but there are capabilities there to start to put in those identifiers so that when you see a transaction come through, it can be quite quickly allocated to a category and then you just chuck everything that you're unsure in general, and then someone can manually go through that and sift them out. And the next is transaction costs, because um, again, I've heard various things about transaction costs on the payment side. So, because when we've looked at uh, various startups looking at open banking, sometimes we said, oh, actually, transaction costs are okay. And sometimes the transaction costs are, are crazy. It depends which. So, how, what's your view on transaction costs? So, it's not free, but- is it? Well, so for the company, the open banking provider to facilitate the transaction, it is because it's a bank transfer, you know, and yeah. bank transfers don't cost, doesn't cost money to move money between two accounts. But obviously they have to monetize that in some capacity. So they will put a transaction fee model in place. Some do it as a fixed fee per transaction. Some do it as a percentage per transaction. So this is the banks or the providers providing an open banking service? This would be the providers, yep. yeah. So the providers yeah. that are providing access to these payment initiation APIs yeah. will implement a transaction fee. It will be variable between fixed fee and transaction costs, uh, percentage, sorry, of the transaction. And there comes an inflection point where suddenly the percentage is considerably more than what the fixed fee would be. And yeah, it will always be cheaper than a card transaction, put it put it that way. So I think no matter whether it is a small percentage or whether it's fixed, typically speaking, it will always equate to less than what a debit card transaction, even in its leanest form, would be. So as far as open banking payments goes, it's a massive threat to the conventional sort of card payment model. I mean, then you look at Visa purchased a company called Tink, who are one of the large open banking players in the space for two and a half, two point three billion, I think it was last summer, which I can only assume was a significant hedge against potential loss of transaction fee revenues over the next three to five years because of the rate of growth of, of open banking payments. Yeah, fair enough. So where do we think this is likely to work best? So who do you think are going to be the guys that break cover with this first? And when I mean break cover, get scale, because I know you've, you've mentioned Revolut and you've mentioned there's there's the there's the um, the aggregators who look at your bank accounts and look at I guess money dashboard and other places like that. But wh- which ones do you think are the ones that can break cover and make this a day to day thing? I think it depends if you're talking the AIS piece or the PIS, because I think they'll be slightly different across the two. AIS. I'm surprised it still hasn't taken off on mass in the airline space yet. So allowing... Oh, airlines flyer. will take ages. Unless it's, unless it's Air New Zealand, it'll take a while. <laughs> but I think the beauty of that, of an airline, you know, BA, Etihad, Emirates, anyone being able to understand how I spend on a daily basis. And actually, once you've got that data... I mean, it becomes quite incredible around how you can almost start to forecast when I might be booking a holiday based on how my spending habits are changing in near real time. So airlines picking up that account information piece, I think would be an absolute game changer. And actually on a quick tangent note, I think it was Emirates did do a partnership with Visa in Dubai Mall as a view to get access to that information. So 
it was both tied into the loyalty program. So if you connected your Visa card to your Emirates Skyroads, I think it was Emirates or Etihad, one of those two, to the relevant frequent flyer program, and then you went shopping in Dubai Mall, you would earn those air miles. But importantly, then gave them access to all of your spend across the Dubai Mall. So they could start to at least profile you better than what they currently had on their yeah, but back end. My, my only scepticism with that, David, is that the airlines have had access to co- co-brand cards for many, many, many years. And I can't think of one I've ever come across that has actually looked at their co- co-brand card data, um, <laughs> mainly because the co-brand cards are very sensitive about giving it out to the airlines. But, uh, yeah, you know. but I, I, the issue with co-brand cards, uh, I find, is that, first of all, it requires the customer to get another card, yeah. uh, which it can be difficult in the first place. Secondly, they're all typically credit and again, a large portion of the market either don't qualify or don't want to have a credit card, so they spend primarily on debit. So I still, those co-brand cards, I think, appeal to maybe 3% of the whole consumer spend market. So there's still a huge amount of data that they could have access to that they don't, which they could now get access to through just saying to customers, look, connect your bank account to your frequent flyer account. We'll give you a thousand bonus miles up front, you know, as an incentive to do so. And now when you go and spend a certain network of, you know, merchants that we have pre-selected, you will earn our air miles. The beauty yeah. for those merchants is they don't have to, sh- it's just opt in and opt out because all the tracking is done through open banking. So there's, they don't have to share any merchant ID numbers. They don't have to do any technical integration. It's almost just flicking a switch. Yes, I would like to participate in the Emirates Skywards this month so that I can get an influx, hopefully, of Emirates customers, and then you can switch it off. So... I think on the AIS piece, if we can get into the airline world, the upside potential is substantial, both in terms of customer value, data for the airlines, and obviously for the open banking provider who sits in the middle, you know, you're going to get millions of account connections. Um, yeah, and, uh, and on the payment side, I saw Tesco sent me a new card the other day, which had a, a RFID chip in it, you know, a, a contactless chip. So was that a Trojan horse for doing this in payment with Tesco's, I guess? So, so Tesco's is an, is an interesting setup is the best way I can put it. So they've got their uh, Tesco Pay Plus app. I don't know if you've used it before, but that's QR code payments. Um, but that, I believe, is owned by Tesco Bank. And then you've got Tesco Grocery that effectively has also their club card app. And they're in direct competition with each other because... Yeah. Tesco Bank want you to have the Pay Plus app to use that to scan and pay and get your points. And then Tesco Retail effectively want you to have the Club Card app to scan and then you make your payment. So it's it's very counterintuitive, uh, you know, almost cannibalistic in terms of its setup with that. So Tesco well, is... And in your typical retail fashion, best will survive. You know, it's Darwinian kind of culture, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, to us, they both get a decent amount of traction. I don't know the exact figures on uh, what you know the penetration is across the two, but I just don't see you're, you're targeting the same customer for the same purpose here. You know, you'd assume as a group company they would you know sort of pick customers or choose customers down one particular route. But I think in retail in general, and certainly in grocery, there is an opportunity for payments to really become a lot more prominent than it currently is. Certainly since COVID, a lot more retailers have either implemented new loyalty programs or they've digitized their loyalty programs in the form of QR code, which again is a piece of technology that people are more familiar with now than ever. You can leave the house without having to scan a QR code. So I think by tapping into that channel, where a customer is now already having to scan a code to earn their loyalty points as part of their customer experience with a merchant, 
if you can combine the payment piece into that, so it almost becomes this single scan payment and loyalty mechanism. You're saving time at the till, which for certainly in-store merchants can be crucial, you know, certainly for grocery. You're reducing transaction fees. You're potentially boosting engagement with customers because you're creating a slicker, more frictionless experience. And then there's also an opportunity to provide more value to the customer because if the retailer is saving 1%, let's say on average against their transaction fees, they could redirect half of that back to the customer as added value, both as an incentive to transact down that channel, but also just to provide more value to then increase engagement and drive incremental spend. So I think one, what I would say, you know, again, at a high level, relatively simple integration of open banking payments into an existing loyalty program and combining that single sort of payment and loyalty solution can have such a dramatic knock-on and long-term effect in terms of acquisition of customers, retention of customers, and then ultimately improving their bottom line because they're going to be saving, you know, what could be seven figures a year on transaction fees. And the thing I like also is... With the open banking piece, you do get the share of wallet capability because you never get loyalty per se, where someone's shopping 100% with you unless you're at, you've got one supermarket in the town and the next one's 400 miles away. Hmm. The thing I'm always intrigued on is when there's a share of wallet discussion is, and this is one thing we haven't discussed, is the capability of the resource in various companies to leverage that capability yeah. if that makes sense and the imagination so you go look at the data <laughs> and you go gee here's a capability that's one of the things i'm always like i'm so passionate about data but you, you always go back to so what what is it going to do for me and then i go right now i've got it now can we put this into a campaign well then it's a prioritization piece and away you go and you need someone internally within the marketing side both on the if you're in a coalition loyalty program but on the program operator side and on the client side to try, help drive and that's sometimes a struggle there's also the yuck factor i think so if if, if british airways for example did see did have open banking it did see you i was buying it at um at easyjet what would they do about it without without passing the yuck factor you know yeah, yeah well i suppose for them it's not it depends on on their i think craig decker your point depends on their sort of data capabilities and insights and marketing team but that should be an opportunity to say right well why is ian just bought a flight with easyjet you know the assumption being that they probably do relatively similar journeys and legs of flights so therefore what is it is it a price point and so on and then they should be able to start pushing an offer to you that might be relevant to you so in the future you would then use them as i think you know if you would currently say to ba how many of your avios members do you know on average spend with EasyJet or with Ryanair every month, they at the, at the moment they wouldn't have a clue. So even just well, getting except that looking at the co-brand data if they could get it, except looking at the co-brand data, which could yeah. yeah, which could represent a very very small portion of those that actual spend. Yeah. So if even just getting that information can give them more insight on saying right, well we've got you know, ten million just average you know say Avios customers. You know, say two million are active, but half of those are spending more frequently with EasyJet and Ryanair than they are. With us, you know, there has to be uh, reasons to why. That's, that, that's got that's got to be the answer at some point. But again, I th- mm. do think this this yuck factor does come in. So when we get together in f- six years' time, let's make it celebrating Craig's thirty th- fifth year in the loyalty industry. <laughs> 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 and yours, Ian? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, be, I'll be getting up there as well myself. <laughs> what will we be celebrating? What are we seeing in the market? What, where, where do you think we're going to be? So, Craig, you think it's going to go na- na- international? I see a couple of things, Ian. I see the regulators and banks having varying by country as to the tension going on mm. as to whether they need to roll it out. Banks will try and hold off as long as they can because it then requires a significant investment from their back-end piece to enable open banking to occur, which is then why you don't get real-time in some scenarios. Unless a regulator puts a mandate on that has to be real-time, then it may not happen, so there's got to be a push-on from that. I see, ideally, more people are using open banking from a loyalty program perspective and other capabilities, but they've got to... It's dependent upon, again, going back to the thinking of both the business and of the loyalty program provider to and what are we trying to achieve out of this? Mm. Have we got the appetite to do it? I've, I've got so many other things I've got to do. Where does this fall in the scheme of things piece? It is such a great opportunity that to me, there's something there that we should be leveraging. The other thing I see is, dare I say it, the data companies have an opportunity to then leverage this even more and make it easy for the client. So if they tap into it as a part of your data enrichment services or whatever layer it is, if you can aggregate all the relevant data, just go to the customer and say, tell me what your business issues are, and then boom, here's a campaign for you, then that makes it a lot easier for me, which will then scale on from there. And then the next step is making sure you've got a digital experience that's going to work for the customer. In six years' time, hopefully all those have fallen in play. (laughs) Yeah, that's massive. I think on the payment side, I think, I mean, six years, we could be world spot. The speed in which payments is already growing. Mm. You know, I think there's a feature within open banking that's due to come out in July. A massive question mark, as if it will, called variable recurring payments. So just to give a very quick summary on that. At the moment, when a payment is authorized or initiated, the customer has to authenticate that transaction from their banking app. So if you were doing an in-store transaction, for example, I would scan a QR code, it would then redirect me to my banking app where I'd face ID or touch ID to authenticate that that transfer as payments. So it's very, very secure, but obviously you have that hurdle of the customer having to have their banking app on their phone and having to authorize it. Variable recurring payments effectively allows for one authentication to take place and then multiple transactions to be taken thereafter without that authentication piece. So it streamlines the whole payment flow. Fast forwarding six years, certainly with the growth of cashierless stores as well, I think we're going to start seeing what what Asia already, in parts of Asia, certainly already implementing, whereby you will effectively be able to connect your bank account to your face. You will walk into a store. There will be, you know, 100,000 cameras in the roof of this store. You walk in, it identifies your face. It opens up that account connection. You walk around, you pick your items, you walk out. And as you leave it will then just trigger a bank transfer for the price of the items that you've picked off the shelf and payments instantly made. So it becomes completely frictionless shopping in every meaning of the, of the word. And they're already starting to do that, I believe, in Asia, but with your card. So you connect your card to the retailer's accounts, you walk in, walk out, and payment's taken. But I think with the evolution in open banking and then once that variable recurring payments piece becomes more mainstream... I think we'll end up, you know, we'll be going for a drink in six years and we'll just walk into a pub, order a beer, walk out, and we won't have even had to make payment because a bank transfer has done it for us. 
But the person working behind the bar is the only one that likes me in the pub these days. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> not just yeah, they can pub, encourage you to buy more pipes. <laughs> uh, but I can't wait for that to happen, though, David, because my local shop down the road, I'm so absent-minded. I'm in there three or four times. I use it like a big cupboard. And I'm, <laughs> they keep saying, oh, you're in again. I'd rather just walk in and walk out. I think it'd be perfect for me. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, thank you very much, guys. That's just about all we've got time for tonight. So thank you very much to guests tonight. So thank you, David John. Thanks for first time on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's been fantastic. No, thank you, Ian. And thanks, Craig Grimshaw. Cheers, Ian. Thanks, David. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment using the hashtag loyaltypodcast, and we look forward to your company again. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>